Hello and welcome to What We Got Right and What We Got Wrong, 2Q23. Uh, this is our quarterly discussion where we discuss within our investment framework what went well, what didn't go so well. Um, so getting right into it, I mean, Tian, I think this is the first quarter in a while where we probably got more wrong than we got right. Um, obviously, we'll get down into some of the nuances, but I guess just to summarise kind of the, you know, where we started and kind of what happened um, through the quarter. Um, leading indicators were behaving as if the US recession had already started, um, yet, you know, equities, credit markets, you know, even the coincidence economic data are telling us we were wrong. And that kind of played out through uh, through last quarter. Um, you know, obviously within um, equities and, and credit, we, we have our kind of sector views. Um, you know, obviously we're tying together the structural piece as well. Um, but I guess, you know, thinking also just a bit more about the timeline um, in terms of how we got here. Um, you know, in 2022, I think that was a setup that worked extremely well, right? For mm. the tactical and cyclical combination, um, you know, leading indicators deteriorated through 2022. Um, and at the same time, we used the tactical piece to kind of, um, you know, flag potential bear market rallies and then um, flag to investors you know, when, when was a good time to put on some asymmetric hedgings. Um, and that works really through you know, through last year and pretty much in the first quarter yeah. of this year. Um, and then something broke, right? And I think it was maybe mid-April. I think that was when, you know, obviously the cyclical piece was still very negative. Um, but then tactical tools flagged. Um, I think we saw some sell signals trigger for US tech. Um, you know, our usual kind of um, flow indicators. Um, you know, there are levels that are consistent with yeah. previous um, sell-offs and that didn't occur this time around. Um, so I guess um, thinking a bit more about, um, you know, how we've tried to adjust with respect to, you know, what went wrong there. Um, you know, we did we did the big thematic piece, Goddard's Recession, to understand, you know, is this time different in the sense that where leading in case were, is it possible that we could have a, um, a very different setup compared to this, um, you know, compared to previous episodes? Um, so maybe I think if we just start off just um, almost thinking about the research and the reports that we've done for clients to try and, um, you know, tie together all the various tools that we have and then kind of marrying that with, um, you know, obviously the, the historical guides that we've worked through. Do you want to just give us a quick piece on that? And then we'll kind of dive into the sector views and what went wrong there. Um, yeah, so I, I think the if you had to pick one thing, it's the fact that the US labor market has obviously held up a lot better than um, what lead indicators would have suggested. So there is something different in this cycle in terms of the pass through to uh, to the labor market. And I think almost everything else has flowed from that. Mm. So historically, when, you know, our recession models and lead indicators and these things are being trained on essentially a particular leading lagging sequencing, right, where normally the once you see initial claims and these things start to come off the lows mm. very quickly, kind of drops of the threat. Uh, but as we put in the kind of Godot recession report, there's many kind of factors this time that's uh, coming together to kind of delay the, the stress in the labor market. Mm -hmm. And so before you see the stress in the labor market, we're in this um, kind of window where it will look like a soft landing. And ultimately, because this is an inflationary recession mm -hmm. or higher inflation recession that has obviously changed uh, the kind of behavior um, you know investors are used to. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, as we laid out, I think hopefully quite clearly in the report, ultimately it comes back to, uh, you know, inflation capture, labor hoarding, the massive fiscal easing, uh, the, ex the excess savings, all these factors will ultimately come together to create a more 
inflation environment. Mm -hmm. And as historically, as it turns out, this isn't new. As, as it turns out, this is a quite common pattern when you have mm -hmm. high inflation recessions, the mm -hmm. labor market pain comes much later. The impact of the labor market is a lot less. Yeah. Um, and that the sequencing becomes much more when does operating margins start to come under sufficient pressure that people feel the need to cut mm. costs on the labor side. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of that comes back to essentially why the labor market is so strong and that's ultimately kind of the, the decision you have to make, right? Mm. You know, I, I would say the, the one minute or the 30 second summary is until the labor market breaks, a lot of the traditional recession plays probably isn't going to happen. Mm. I think that's why we shifted some of our asset allocation as well towards obviously a big focus on tips, mm. uh, you know, going back into energy yeah. and doing some, some of those shifts. You know, that's kind of the more pragmatic. And this is kind of tying yeah. together the, the structural piece, right? Where, um, you know, we used, you know, even last year and thinking about, you know, one eye onto next cycle and thinking about the companies you want to hold now that can be winners, yeah. you know, going through the, the downturn. Um, I think, yeah, that, that certainly within equities, we were able to flag, you know, a lot of things that perform really well. Right? We laid out in our 2023 themes report at the start of the year, kind of back end of last year, um, where, you know, we did say that things like capital cycle was extremely positive still for, for energy. And it was just a case of waiting for kind of the, some of the yeah. speculative positioning to, um, to unwind a bit. Um, you know, we flagged home builders as well. I think it was just recently we saw um, LPPL in there. So it yeah. again suggests that, we're at this point of kind of max speculation. Um, there'll probably be a better time to buy back into that story. But now for the time being, it seems like energy is, um, is a nice place to deploy that kind of marginal capital. Um, I guess, you know, just thinking of, you know, for me personally, I think it was quite annoying when, you know, with fixed income, we laid yeah. out the 1969-70 roadmap where, um, you know, we kind of, you know, obviously looked through the historical playbooks, found that this was actually a macro, both macro and policy setup that was really similar to today. And we kind of concluded that, you know, with fixed income at least, um, you know, there, it, it, there's more likely to be a delayed yield plunge, right? Um, the recession scare kind of gets backloaded. Um, and, you know, we kind of use that as a, as a sequencing for thinking about how to allocate to bonds. And then, as you said, you know, Right now, it seems like the, the best area to deploy is more in kind of the inflation-linked piece. Um, but we didn't extend that to risk yeah. assets, right? And I think that's where, um, you know, doing the work with Godot's recession um, and trying to understand that, you know, yes, actually, we see this in all inflation recessions where, um, you know, the, the corporate piece, you know, equities and credit, that rolls over later because of the labor market outcomes that get backloaded. So I think that, you know, personally for me, I think that was quite... quite um, you know, it was, a, it was a lesson learned eventually, but I think, um, you know, we kind of had the ingredients in place. I think it yeah. just took us a while to, to tie it together. And at the same time, I think, you know, even um, initial claims, I think maybe it was the start of April, right? We saw that massive seasonal revision. Yeah. So at the time we were kind of waiting for these kind of outliers to correct themselves in a way. Um, and then that almost gives added conviction, right? To, to bet on our recession signal. Um, so I think that kind of confused the, you know, the here and now with respecting kind of the historical playbooks that we already um, adhere to. So that I think that was for me personally, just, right. that was difficult to <laughs> to square. Well, I mean, I think the, the 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 other piece we haven't talked about is what's the correct definition of liquidity? Because mm. I think if you actually look back in time, as we're going towards the end of March with the kind of you know banking, you know, U.S. regional banking crisis mm. kicking off excess liquidity being weak and these elements, they were all probably there to suggest it wouldn't quite be a 6970 sure. 
yeah. playbook coming out, right? So I think for, for me, I think I've said this on a few of the client calls, that the big lesson was um, in understanding that the monetary policy regime we live in is truly different mm -hmm. in response to every kind of big crisis. Um, the the Fed's kind of expanded their mandate and what you know which parts of basically the entire money structure mm -hmm. that they can interact with, right? You know, I think I've, I mentioned like Perry Merling's mm -hmm. um, kind of hi hierarchy money concept a lot, where you know the the, the central banks are. Historically, when you think about budget and the you know land of last resort, people used to think about central banks as mostly dealing with bank reserves and deposits and and making sure people believe in the value deposits. Mm. And increasingly, over time, central banks are more willing to intervene in other markets. Like in twenty twenty, in COVID, they obviously intervened in uh, yeah, crossing the debt, high yield debt, mm -hmm. and now obviously you know they intervene in the treasury market. You're going all the way down the hierarchy of money to loans and securities with mm. like treasury. And you know MBS or any of these things. So, you know, I, I think the takeaway is then it's harder to have a more of an acute crisis, but mm. it's more like a controlled demolition. So again, if it's a controlled demolition, then it's a case of understanding. You know, I think things that need to blow up still will be allowed to blow up, but what the definition of contagion mm. is probably more widely defined, and central banks are less willing to tolerate contagion. Mm. Um, so that obviously links to links into us getting a bit more confidence in some of the the more cyclical exposed areas like energy and so forth, where I feel like, okay, enough value is priced in, we, we can live with some of the contagion risks. You know, that's probably the, the shift, mm. including on the fixed income piece, right? Normally for something like um, link inflation link, you would be pretty worried about contagion risks, disorderly sure. markets. And so there's increasingly a sign that if it's a controlled demolition, mm. you know, there's areas of excess, you know, we written about, you know, leverage loans, private mm -hmm. credit, that will be allowed to deflate, you know, they've allowed some of the Previous crypto things to deflate, obviously now it's sure. coming back. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of it ties back to kind of, you know, re-examining, re um, you know, how important liquidity is and mm -hmm. how 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 we should define it. So with um, you know, obviously we were, you know, I mentioned that we were using things like our flow proxies as a way, to, you know, that's a key tactical indicator that helped us a lot through last year. Um, and then it kind of stopped working, um, you know, with BTFP, you know, in response to SVB and so forth. Um, do you think now, because of that response, because of you know the Fed's kind of stiffened um, money down the chain almost, that these tactical indicators? I'm just trying to get a sense. You know, can we use them in the same way now that you know the Fed's almost crossed yeah. the Rubicon in that way, right? And it's now responding almost like a dual mandate, right? It's kind of um, it's not allowing uh, the kind of excesses to de deflate, you know, fully um, and more this kind of controlled demolition. Um, roadmap do you think the tactical and the cyclical still work as they should work or do we just need to reset and almost kind of again build things up from first principles in a way right just look kind of at the company level and aggregate up well I, I think the flow tools we're using are first principles right and mm -hmm. actually we did do a bunch of testing around uh, whether to incorporate some of the kind of adjustment factors based on kind of liquidity impact and mm. none of it made a huge difference. I feel like the current version we have is actually pretty good. So I don't think it's necessarily the tool was broken. What it's telling you is, you know, from May onwards, there was net new money going to equities, mm. right? So ultimately, whether you want to call it AI hype or whatever else, it's just more the fact that new money is coming in. Mm -hmm. And the question is, where's the new money coming from? Yeah. Right. Is it people taking on more debt? Is it just rotating out of, you know, multi-asset rotating out? Is it the fact that we had just came into the year with a lot of real money underweights and just ultimately mm. dragging everyone in and now you have a like just spare cash coming in? Mm. So I think 
it's not necessarily the indicator is broken, but the context in which we were using it, sure. we were using it under the assumption that there was still a broader downtrend where mm -hmm. the recession in the coincident data was going to become more obvious. And mm -hmm. right now, you know, you, you did analysis, right? We've looked at every possible historical trigger and it mm -hmm. always comes back to labor market. Yeah. And it's always about initial claims mm -hmm. defined correctly, unemployment jumps, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a case of just understanding without that, the more pragmatic portfolio setup probably, yeah, do, do, does need some, some of the cyclical pieces like the energy stuff we talked about. Um, but at the same time on your tips piece, you know, these are the things that somewhat misaligned. So mm -hmm. obviously for some of the commodity stuff, again, it's looking like a lot of bad news are priced in. So it kind of makes sense that it's more aligned to kind of the inflation mm -hmm. uh, kind of story. So, you know, you're never probably going from zero to one instantly in the portfolio. Yeah, but I think course, for yeah. us, it's, it is pragmatic to do that uh, shift mm. um, uh, a little bit as we go. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, to summarize kind of the, the, the headline asset allocation level, like equities, yeah, it, I think headline, we got that wrong. Bonds, kind of weird. I think overall still, you know, we're still focusing on the cyclical bullish backdrop um, and yields kind of Traded sideways for a lot of it, you yeah. know, got, got above four. I think mean, front now. end was right, right? I right, think we yeah. said Fed was gonna definitely cut later. Back end, yeah. we probably should have shifted towards inflation link earlier. Sure, and, yeah, and yeah, the nominals, yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, I guess with commodities, then, you know, as you just mentioned, um, I think that was actually more positive, yeah, right? I think Where, commodities was fine. I think, yeah, certainly from the bottom up angle, it feels like a lot of ingredients were in place. Um, you know, to really bet the farm on some of these energy companies that just aren't producing yet, you know, they're still producing a huge amount of cash flow. And um, I guess we kind of looked at it, you know, mindful of how positive the capital cycle was and these supply constraints. Um, you know, we just weren't seeing enough from the cyclical piece really to give us conviction that, you know, this was a dip to be buying aggressively. I think we're starting to see some ingredients line up on that front, but I think that served us well where we could blend the different Time rises yeah. quite nicely. Um, and um, same with gold as well. Yeah, right? gold, I think industrial commodities, oil. I think broadly the framework has worked. A lot of the tools for commodities was fine. Yeah. Because obviously more closely tied to manufacturing, less exposed to kind of mm. service labor market piece. So that's probably why that worked fine. FX, we broadly said, you know, ultimately probably go sideways round trip. Right. I think that's kind of fine. EM, mm -hmm. I think we've, you know, EM's been highest conviction, right? Sticking to Brazil. Mm. And, the, you know, these things have worked, right? Ultimately, I think a lot of the RV smaller stuff as well, but I yes. think the core yeah. thing is, um, yeah, the core, I mean, only, I think I would say at least we like, you know, we gave up on trying to show equities reasonably early in mm. May. We were just like, okay, yeah. something's different. Yeah. You know, this precedent for this in the kind of dot com or all these nifty mm. 50 bubbles. Um, but I think it was just a struggle to bring yourself to chase the bubble. So mm. ultimately, I think, you know, something to think about in our framework is, is there ever a situation where even if you know it's a bubble, there's a trading framework to right. chase it um, rather than just be neutral. Mm. And I think this is this is kind of the area of development for where we take some kind of LPPR, these other things we have for bubble detection. Right. Yeah. That's probably the next kind of evolution. Yeah, because we I think the tactical cookbook, the, the 2.0 version, we released this quarter, right? Yeah. So I don't know, Julia, just like we can, I think we covered all the asset classes yeah. now. I think, yeah, maybe we should finish just thinking about how we're evolving some of the tactical tools. Um, yeah, so I think, well, for one, I think we had a very good response from clients towards um, kind of the, the MVP we put out on some of the trading stuff. So yeah. um, I think ultimately it's about tying together kind of break when, when things break out versus when the trends are ending, mm. right? And obviously that's the holy grail, but mm. I think we've got a lot of the, the raw ingredients in place for 
kind of um you know end of trend stuff and i think it's time to kind of bring bring on board more of the kind of breakout and, and, and combine it together because i think that was one area where um maybe our inherent biases towards you know naturally you maybe have a slight value tilt and mm-hmm. stock picking you know it's, it's a bunch of these biases come in right where you know when, when you when you you know given we we did say you know given all the dot-com bubble precedent and you know we're like okay it's just it's just dumb to keep trying to yeah. you know it may just be like okay this is clearly not a sure what what would be necessary to be like okay if there's a bubble would you do you have the tools in place to predict this is going to be a big yeah. bubble and we kind of did but we just couldn't bring ourselves to do it right lppr yeah. these things are there to give you a sense of when it breaks out it could go yeah. um so i think that's something to 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 look a little bit ourselves in terms of how much is our personal biases on mm. a value tilt and just looking valuations and these kind sure. of things uh, coming into play versus um, yeah going with more of the trend following breaking out stuff a bit more mm-hmm. that's that's probably something you know, that's top of mind to work on okay great I think we'll leave it there thank you very much and thank you very much for listening <laughs>